Amen. Brothers and sisters, please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the New Life of Presbyterian Church Sermon Broadcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know ways you can help us support it, we'd like to make you aware of our capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with all you beasts of the field come to devour all you beasts in the forest but his watchmen are blind they are all ignorant they are all dumb dogs they cannot bark we believe sleeping lying down loving to slumber yes they are greedy dogs which never have enough and they are shepherds who cannot understand they all look to their own way everyone for his own gain from his own territory come one says i will bring wine and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink tomorrow will be as today and much more to be as a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom God's God. word. We believe uh, that this new building may be seated. Get there. And so we are praying and that God would also ask now for God's blessing on the preaching of his word. That we would grow to fill it and that one day we would even oh, be Father. able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, we this is a very dark place. Pray that, that you would grant us for the light a of the softness of heart and a humility to receive difficult words that are found uh, in the scriptures. The of the word. For Lord, we, so we know that your word us, uh, often does say difficult things, see this and we are required to submit to them. consider giving a financial we know gift that to the Senate. You can give As by the Lord sending Jesus us a Christ check with says, building funds in the memo line. Hear. Our address can be found on the website. What sort of you can also give by zell by sending the money the to nc.opcssf.treasurer As Isaiah himself will say, at who trembles at the word of God. Building fund in Lord, the grant us this May kind God of humility you with a that we might receive your word well even when it is difficult, that it might be edifying to our souls, leading us to repentance and helping us to see the glory of the sacrifice of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, here in Isaiah chapter 56, verses 9 to 12, we have uh, simply the prophet Isaiah speaking to us about sin. It is a. It is simply the the main goal is simply to uh, convict the people of God for their sins and. Because of that, there is this warning that there is a judgment to come. Now, as we think about how we're to respond to uh, some to, to a message like this, when we read passages like this in the Bible, it's important for us to ask: you know, wh- how, how are we to read them? How are we to profit by them? Uh, very often. When Christians begin reading the Bible a lot, they can uh, go to the passages which extol the grace of God, and those are usually pretty easy for us to understand how we are to receive them. We are to receive them being thankful to God for all that He has done for us. We are to worship the Lord for all that He has done. And yet, very often, what Christians will then do, especially in the beginning of of their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, is they'll come to passages in the prophets, and even sometimes entire books of the prophets, where it will seem like there is this uh, almost this monotonous speaking of judgment. And what you see is that there is this, that the prophets really do very often address sin directly. And very often, the goal of their message is simply to convict of sin. Now, in the days of the prophets, the people of God had not generally been given the new heart, and therefore, they did not receive it well. They did not receive the message well. They uh, very often would persecute the, 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 the prophets. 
And the prophets, because their message was not received, they would have to repeat it. They would have to say it uh, even harder. They would have to warn of the coming judgment. And then we know that what ended up happening is that the judgment actually came. That uh, because the people of God would not heed this, these words, that God eventually sent the Assyrians to destroy the northern kingdom, as Isaiah himself records in earlier chapters of his book. And Isaiah then also warns of what would come to pass later for the southern kingdom. Uh, God sent the Babylonians to destroy the southern kingdom. Now, what we are then to recognize in terms of passages like this, where the prophets so directly address sin, there's a few things that we are to recognize. Uh, first, it is given for our good. It is given for the good of the people of God. If the people would have heard these words, been pricked in their hearts, and then repented, the judgment would have been averted. And the idea there is that in every, whenever you read the prophets, every time there is a message of judgment, there is always an implicit message of grace, always. And this is something that, that, the, that the, the prophet Jonah understood very well. He was told to go to Nineveh and, and only to proclaim the judgment that would come upon that nation. And why did he not want to go? The answer is because he knew that if he proclaimed the message of judgment, that gave the Ninevites an opportunity to repent. And if they repented, there would be no judgment. He did not want the repentance. He was fine with the judgment. He did not want the repentance and the aversion of judgment. Therefore, he refused to preach the message of judgment. You see the, the connection that, that the, the message of judgment always carries with it an implicit message of grace. If you repent, if you turn, it, then you will be saved. That is always the message. And therefore, as we, as we read these particular uh, words, what we'll find is that, and this is something that the prophets were, were, were great at, and which is another thing that we are to, to keep in mind as we think about these sorts of passages, is that the prophets so perfectly diagnose the heart. They, they, they describe sin so pointedly, and they describe it so poetically, and in such great ways that uh, it is always applicable to us. And therefore, we are to, to recognize that the message, even of judgment, that the prophets give to us, is they are applicable to us. And this is what we're going to see. The kind of person that Isaiah is describing, particularly in verses 10 through 12, is the kind of person we see all the time today. The kinds of sins that Isaiah is speaking about are sins that are common today. The, the, the kind of thought process that produces the acceptance of these kinds of sins is also common today. And therefore, Isaiah's message is applicable to us today. And the message is, if you will, even in your sins now, if you will repent, then the judgment will be averted and you will be saved. And that we know from the New Testament, from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, thinking a little bit more particularly about uh, this passage, uh, one of the things that you'll note is that verses, uh, verse, verse 9 is particularly speaking about the judgment that is going to come. So there's, the, there's a judgment that is described as beasts coming and, and devouring. And then in verses 10 through 12, there is a, there is a description of a, of a certain class of people in Israel who have sinned. And that the, the idea is that the judgment is going to come because of their faithlessness. Uh, Isaiah in this section will describe uh, a number of the people's sins in different ways. Again, doing it very pointedly. In verses 10 through 12, the main focus is on 
the sins of the leadership, the sins of the leadership of the people of God. And we recognize all throughout the scriptures and even in our own experience that good leadership is a great blessing from the Lord. It is a great blessing from the Lord and bad leadership can have tremendous disadvantages that can hardly be overstated. This is the reason why, as you, you, as you think about the, the record of the history of the people of God as it's given in Kings and Chronicles, that why there is this emphasis on the kings in particular. There's other people that are described, but the kings clearly have the main emphasis. And you'll note that particularly with Jeroboam and those who followed him, there is this recurring uh, refrain that... Um, the people of Israel continued in the sin which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, caused the people to sin. He caused them to sin because of his leadership, his poor leadership. Now, it's not the, the purpose of that statement is not to say that the people are not uh, responsible for their sin. That's not the point. The point is simply to say that the poor leadership does influence the people towards sin. And there will be more sin in the land if the leadership of a land is sinful. That is, what, that is what we are to learn from the books of Kings and Chronicles. And here Isaiah describes this uh, exact situation. It's not just that all the people have sinned. He's going to get to all the people. But here in this section, he begins with the leaders. The leaders have sinned. The leaders have sinned. And because of that, the judgment is coming on all the people because the failure of the leadership has caused, in this sense, all of the people to sin. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage under two headings in particular, uh, looking at the, the judgment in verse 9, and then the faithless leaders and all of their sins in verses 10 through 12. As I mentioned, that's the, the basic way in which this, in which this uh, passage breaks down, the, the coming of the wrath of God in verse 9, and then the faithless leaders in verses 10 through 12. And the point is, again, if the faithless leaders will, in fact, repent of their sins and turn back to God, then the wrath described in verse 9 will be averted. That is uh, the purpose of the passage. So we'll look again at, then at verse 9 as we consider uh, the coming wrath of God. Where Isaiah speaks again of the judgment in terms of beasts of the field coming to devour, and they are called beasts that, who, that are in the forest. Here, here he is describing the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, and the beasts are clearly the enemies of God who are, notice in the text, they are invited by God to destroy the city of God. They are being called by God to the destruction itself. This is uh, God's judgment, again, because of the lack of the faithful, uh, faithfulness of, of the people. And here, this is a, an important contrast, then, with, what, with the passage that we looked at last week. Last week, you'll remember, this section of Isaiah begins with Isaiah speaking about the grace that will come to everyone who is faithful to God. Doesn't matter if you're a eunuch. Doesn't matter if you're a foreigner. Doesn't matter if you appear to be an outsider. Doesn't matter if you were previously far from the grace of God. If you turn to God, he will accept you. That, that was the message of Isaiah 56, 1 to 8. But now here you have the opposite. Here you have the leadership. Those who are the most in of all the end, they are, they are leading the, the, the people from the inside, and they are faithless. And the point is, is that faith, in verses 1 to 8 of chapter 56, leads to great grace, but then also, if you're faithless, it doesn't matter how much power or prestige or influence you've got, the judgment will come. The judgment will come. And therefore, it is faith that is the great distinguishing factor between judgment and grace. Those who will receive salvation on the last day are those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who will receive the wrath of God 
are those who are faithless, even, even apart from whatever they may be able to say about their own power and prestige. Uh, now, uh, one question that we need to, to ask with regard to statements like this in verse 9 is, does God still do this? Is this way of God acting and dealing with his people, is this something that was exclusively for the Old Testament? And what I, what I mean is this, clearly God is judging his people. He's judging his people. He's entering into judgment with them. And therefore, we, we need to ask, does God still bring judgments upon his own people when they are faithless to him? Is this something that God still does? Because if, if, if it's true that he does, then obviously then Isaiah's message is even more applicable to us today. Uh, there are some, however, who will say things like, you know, the Old Testament was about law, and we see that it's about law because of how hard the message of the prophets are and all the judgment that we see. And then in the New Testament, we, we are living not under law, but under grace. And because we're living under grace, then we have these, this message mostly of mercy. And therefore, there's the judgment in the Old Testament, but there's mercy and grace in the New. And yet, what we actually find in the Bible is that uh, mercy and grace are just as prevalent in the old as in the new, and judgment is also just as prevalent in the new as in the old. If, if, you were to, if, if, if we think about particularly the doctrine of hell, where do you typically go to find the passages in, on hell in the Bible? It's typically from the New Testament, even more particularly, it's from the words of Christ himself. This is to say that the main information that we have about the doctrine of the judgment comes from the lips of our Savior. So it's not the idea that there is judgment and grace and uh, judgment on the one hand and grace on the other. It's that the Bible is actually perfectly consistent with itself from beginning to end. Those who do not believe will face the judgment. That's what Isaiah is saying. That's the point of Isaiah 56 in totality. Those who do not believe will face judgment. Those who do believe will be saved. That is the same message that we see in the Apostle Paul, the same message in Moses, and this is the message that Isaiah is giving here today. We see this as well uh, in, uh, in the New Testament said explicitly, uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, judgment will begin, must begin with the household of God. Judgment will begin with the household of God, he says. All the warning passages to the, to, to the Hebrews, as we've uh, been reading in our uh, consecutive reading through the New Testament, all the warning passages make this abundantly clear. In fact, the purpose of those warning passages in the book of Hebrews is to say that the judgment actually increases in the New Testament. In, in chapter 3 of Hebrews, which we just read, what the author is saying is, is look, if they didn't believe Moses... Well, we have a better Moses now. And, and if you turn away from Moses and, it and receive this kind of condemnation, what do you think it will be for, for you if you turn away from Christ? And the same thing is said in chapter 1. Christ is higher than all the angels. So if in the Old Testament there was this mediation of the word of God through angels, as he says at the beginning of chapter 2, and every disobedience of that received a, a just penalty, how much worse will it be for us if we neglect such a great salvation that has been revealed to us in one who is even higher than all of the angels. So it's not to say that these things have been lessened. They've actually been increased. The Lord Jesus Christ himself in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 says over and over again, if you do not repent, I will come and I will remove your lampstand. I will come in judgment and I will remove your church from being a church in an act of judgment. We are therefore to recognize that this warning applies to us it applies to us. If we sin in these ways, 
we will receive the same kind of judgment. And therefore, in light of that, if we do not want the beast to come for God himself, if we do not want God himself to invite the beast to come and to destroy us, we are to ask, what sort of sins was Isaiah addressing that brought down this kind of judgment? What sort of sins were being committed by the people of God and more particularly by the leaders of the people of God? You'll notice that they are described here in verse 10 as watchmen and as dogs. And yet, and yet, they are watchmen who cannot perform their functions well. The, the idea of, of a watchman is, um, this is, this is a figure that was used particularly of Ezekiel. You'll remember in Ezekiel chapter 3, when Ezekiel is called to the ministry, he is set to be a watchman over the people of God, over the household of God. And the idea here is that there is a spiritual danger coming. And Ezekiel is, is posted on the tower, so to speak, to look and to see when this danger is coming. And when the danger is coming, he as the watchman is to give a warning to the people. And the idea is you give the warning to the people, they then can hear the warning, and then they can uh, avoid the, 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 uh, the, the danger that is coming their way. And God was setting Ezekiel as the watchman, particularly with regard to spiritual dangers. There are sins. When I see these sins coming, it is like a danger that is approaching, and it will end in judgment. And therefore, what Ezekiel is doing, what, what, what Ezekiel is called to do is he's called to, he's called to call out sins that he sees in the people of God. And what, he's, and what is told to him is, is that if you are faithful in your duty as a watchman over the people of God, and you call out their sins faithfully, then if they turn, you, then they will be saved. You will have delivered your life. And, and yet also, if, if you give them the warning and they don't turn, they will bear their sin. But you will have delivered your soul because you were faithful as a watchman. That, that, that's the point. And the idea then is that there is some kind of culpability in the watchman if he fails to sound the alarm. That's the idea. There's a danger coming. You saw it. You didn't do anything. If he does not say anything, then, what, then what, what, uh, what God says is that the people will still be judged because they're still sinning. But Ezekiel will not have delivered his soul. He will, he will be guilty because he failed to, to fulfill his duty as a watchman. Now, here are the same sort of figures being used for the leaders of the people of God generally. And you can see how, 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 um, how impossible it would be for them to fulfill their function well. They are called to see the danger coming and then to raise the alarm for the people of God. And yet, Isaiah calls the watchmen blind. Now, of course, if you had blind watchmen, it's not going to be helpful. The, the idea is that the watchmen are, are so, they, they are so wrapped up in their own sins that they have no ability to see any kind of danger coming. They're completely blind. They, they cannot see it. And, and therefore, it, therefore, having these particular leaders is like setting blind watchmen on the tower. The, 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 when the dog, when the beasts come from the field to destroy the city, no one's going to be able to give the alarm. The other figure that's used is they are dumb dogs. They cannot bark. The point here is that um, the dog here is being conceived of as a, you know, a, a, the, the, a kind of animal that would help a watchman. And, the, and we, we still use dogs for this sort of function today. Um, you know, if you've got a dog for the sake of you know, home security, that sort of thing, part of the advantage of a dog is uh, someone intrudes into the home, the dog raises the alarm. Same sort of idea as a, as a watchman. And he does that by barking. 
if you have a watchman who's blind and dogs that are dumb and they cannot bark, then the idea very clearly is that the, that is that the entire city is going to be in trouble, that there's, there's no protection against the judgments uh, which are to come. And brothers and sisters, as we think about this then, uh, this is helpful for us to understand um, the nature of leadership and what is required of someone who is to be a faithful leader in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in society, and even in the family. Uh, my job is to be, as a pastor, the, the kind of person that is, that is what uh, God describes of Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 3. I am to, to think about the things that are spiritual dangers that will bring about the judgment of God and to give warnings. I give warnings according to what the scriptures teach about what sin is. Any sort of leader that refuses to do that is a blind watchman. Any leader who will not, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is unwilling to say that something is a sin that the Bible calls sin, is a blind watchman. Now, if, if um, just to apply this a little bit further, you, 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 know, you, you may be thinking, well, that's a good application for you as the pastor. I am not the pastor. What then am I to do? Um, the, the reality is, is that even if you are not a pastor, there are still many ways in which this applies to you, not formally in the exact same sense, and yet uh, still there, is, uh, there are ways in which this applies. If you are a father, this applies to the way in which you raise your children. If you, are, if you cannot see the, the sins in your own children, if you cannot see the spiritual dangers of the world around them, and you are unwilling to raise the alarm, if you're unwilling to even deal with sins as you see it in your family, you are a blind watchman, and the judgment will come to your entire family. Uh, same thing would be true if you're a mother. If you're a mother, you are, you are called to be diligent with regard to the raising of your children in this exact thing. You are called to be diligent with regard to recognizing where the spiritual dangers are in the, in the family. And this would be true then if you, have, if you have any sort of leadership position in any area, any sphere of life, any, any sort of uh, situation where there are others who depend on you, this is the sort of thing uh, that you need to, to, to think about. There is a requirement there is a requirement to recognize when dangers are coming, to have your eyes wide open because others are depending upon you. If you do not raise the alarm, then those who depend on you, they will be harmed, but also, but also you will have failed in your duty. That is what Isaiah is describing here. The people of God, they were led by blind watchmen, and therefore the judgment was to come. Now, uh, what made them blind? There are a few things here that we see. You'll notice that uh, they are lazy. This is at the end of verse 10. What, why, why are they blind? Why are they unwilling to, uh, sh to speak about the sins that they see all around that have such a, uh, a, 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 uh, a danger, that are such a danger to bring about the wrath of God? Well, the answer is because they are like dumb dogs that cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, and loving to slumber. Loving to slumber is, uh, is a way to describe laziness. They're not attentive to their duties, uh, and therefore they are... Uh, they, they simply don't care. They, 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 do not, they, they are not diligent in the exercise of their duties. Uh, now, laziness is wrong for anyone, but it is especially wrong for those who are leaders because other people are relying on you specifically. People are relying on the watchman. If the watchman is sleeping, then obviously he cannot perform his duty or his function well. Now, uh, th this is something that we need to think through very carefully as a congregation as well. Um, in today's world, 
Uh, laziness is, is a, I would say, a besetting sin of the culture. Uh, laziness is a, is a very serious sin. I would think that probably this is worse in this generation than in previous generations. Uh, our parents and grandparents, in particular, I, mean, I would say if you go back to our great-grandparents especially, would have known the, the simple dignity of hard work and the need for hard work. Uh, in today's world, the culture is mostly about uh, pursuing your own pleasure and your own leisure, where people will go to work, but they're really always thinking about their own leisure. They're not really thinking about their own calling. But brothers and sisters, what the scriptures teach is that you, you are called to work. You are called to work. Life is not about vacations. Life is actually about work. And this actually does have a spiritual component to it. It is, a, it is a, a, an abdication of duty to be lazy in this world. Now, let me say, particularly with regard to young men, I think there is, a, there is a particular besetting sin with young men who are especially called to work as God took Adam out of the ground and gave him particularly the, the task of working the ground. Uh, man has a special relationship to work, and yet we do see in, uh, the, in the generation today a propensity towards laziness. And, and I'll say um, probably one of the greatest pitfalls with regard to laziness in the world today for young men is video games. Is uh, th- it is very common for young men to be addicted to video games. Now, don't hear me say that I'm s- saying that to play a video game is wrong and it's inherently sinful. It's not what I'm saying. Uh, but I'm sure everyone can recognize the kind of person that I am describing who is addicted to the video games, who, who, who basically has set up their life to revolve around the video game. And it is that sort of person that is, um, that is seeking to be uh, heroic in things that are not related to real life. And what you are called to do in this life as a man is you are called to, and that, that's, I think, the, the appeal to video games. You're, you're put into a story where you can be the hero. But uh, you are called to do that in real life. You are, you are called to be a provider. You are called to care for others, to be a leader in the real world. In the, that, that is what you are called to. There are other people who are relying on you to this end. And uh, one of the things that promotes a a culture of laziness is an addiction particularly uh, to video games uh, wherein there is an abundance of sleep, loving to slumber, there is a work but you're not focused on it, you're always thinking about being able to play the video game again. And I, I would just encourage if you are a young man, of course if you're a young woman in the, in your, into this too I would say the same thing, but uh, particularly if you are a young man and you find yourself addicted to the video games in this regard, uh, I would say it would be, it's wise to, to give them up. It's wise to give them up un, until you can, uh, at least for a time, to be able to find a way to be focused on a calling that is outside of the pursuit of video games. Uh, this, is, this is the sort of thing that we saw. Uh, if, if I were, in this sense, addicted to video games in this way, it would be a kind of laziness that would affect my ministry. It would affect my ministry. And it, and it affects every leader's ministry without question. Whatever you are called to do, it will affect what you are doing. And this is what we find in the, in the people of God here. They were loving to slumber. They lied down and they were always sleeping. Therefore, they could not be watchmen. Notice as well, they are described as greedy. They are greedy dogs, which never have enough. So they cannot bark to raise the alarm, but then they take things from others. Uh, rather than protecting the sheep, they're actually devouring them. And here we have another thing that, we, that I think is, is common today. We uh, are in a world where every, everything is about the pursuit of things for yourself. 
But notice here, Isaiah is describing that this, this sort of disposition of seeking out things for yourself rather than things for others, that that is the thing that made the Israelite leaders incompetent to such a degree that the judgment of God was going to come, uh, to come against them. If you are called to, leave, to lead others, what you must recognize is others, the whole goal of, of your leadership is to be that through your leadership that others would benefit from your leadership, which means you are to be diligent in seeking the good, not of yourself, but of others. This is one of the things that would show as we're thinking about praying for elders and deacons and that sort of thing. Uh, this is what, 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 what we are looking for in the lives of men in the congregation. Uh, those who are seeking the good of others rather than themselves, who are willing to sacrifice to that end. That is, that is a, 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 something that is absolutely required uh, for any sort of qualification for office. And then lastly, so there is, in, there is an incompetence because they're blind, there's laziness, there's greed. Lastly, notice in verse 12, and this fits very well with the idea of greediness, of taking things for yourself. Uh, those who are greedy and take things for themselves, very often what we see today as in the days of Isaiah, there is this, this pursuit of sensual pleasure that life ends up being all about the pursuit of central, uh, central pleasure. Notice Isaiah actually quotes those who are sitting in this way. He says, come, come, one says, I will bring wine and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. The idea there is that there is this pursuit after wine or strong drink. There is this pursuit after getting drunk, central pleasure in that sense, and everything else that would go with it. And then what you are thinking about about the future is merely the next time where there will be this sort of uh, this sort of opportunity to uh, pursue uh, to, to pursue drunkenness. Uh, there could be, um, I don't think, a more fitting description of the party sort of scenes that you see in high schools and colleges where uh, there is no responsibility, where there is just a pursuit of pleasure. Uh, th this is this is Isaiah is describing. If you were to ask, what would this look like today? It is exactly that. This is exactly that. And, and the, you, know, you can maybe update the language. There are maybe different, different phrases that would be used. But what people say today who are pursuing that sort of thing are saying exactly the same thing as what Isaiah is saying they said in the 8th century BC in verse 12. It is exactly the same thing. Come, I will bring wine. We will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. And the point is, the point is that when leaders do that, when, when they are only about themselves, when they are pursuing sensual uh, pleasures and they are pursuing it through wine and strong drink, which I think is, is uh, certainly as common today as we live in more and more in a hedonistic society, the point is that when you have leaders that are like this, there is a great danger that the wrath of God is coming. That the wrath of God is coming. And as the warning, as the warning was given then because of a very real threat of judgment, so too I give the warning now if, if we are committing the same sins, we as a country should expect the same result because the God who issued the warning then has not changed. Uh, now, uh, you may be saying, well, you know, I'm not a leader, and so, you know, even if some of this applies to me, it's not, it's not ultimately my fault. I'm not to blame for this judgment to come. Uh, Calvin says, in commenting on this verse, he says, we are not exempted from blame if we follow blind guides, but on the contrary are justly punished for our transgressions, for the Lord takes away good guides. Notice this. The Lord takes away good guides from those whom he intends to punish for their ingratitude. The Lord removes good guides from a people who is not deserving of them. 
who aren't going to be thankful for them. And so we must recognize that this, what Isaiah is speaking about, you must search your own hearts and see if there is something with regard to these sins that you must repent of. Remember what Jesus himself said in Matthew 15. He calls the Pharisees blind guides, but he says, if the blind lead the blind, it's not just the, the blind guides that will fall into the pit. They both will fall into the pit. Uh, we are called to, to pursue good leadership, and we are called to recognize what the Bible calls good leadership and to desire those things, to be thankful when God uh, provides it to us. And we are called to uh, live in ways that are pleasing to God himself. This particularly comes with regard to the selection of church leaders. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul warns that there will be days, you know, this would be to reinforce Calvin's point, there will be days coming when people will not be able to endure sound doctrine, but they will acquire for themselves people who will tickle their ears. The idea there is that if you see our country, our churches, our families not, being, not having good leadership, the blame does come from both sides. It comes from both sides. People, why are there so many people who are unwilling to preach the Word of God? It's because as a country, we have desired that. We have desired that. We have ac accumulated for ourselves those who will tickle our ears. These sorts of sins cannot be tolerated. Do not think that God will not judge His church for this. Uh, think if, if, you, if you think of the punishment of the Jews for the rejection of Christ, the destruction of Jerusalem, this was instigated by the leaders. The leaders are those who killed Christ, and yet the people were still held responsible for that sin. Uh, may it be that God would grant you the grace to hear this warning as it's given in Isaiah by Him, and that He would grant you the grace to repent, that this word of judgment might turn for you to be a word of salvation and of mercy and of grace. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do pray that you would forgive us. We think of our own lives. We think of the ways in which we have been greedy, the ways in which we have desired sensual pleasures, the ways, Lord, in which we have been lazy, the ways in which we have been incompetent and cowards and not being willing to, to call out things that are sinful, the ways in which we have neglected our duties as watchmen in the various spheres of life where you have given us leadership positions and responsibilities. Lord, please, please forgive us. Please forgive us. Grant us a heart of repentance, O God, and grant that even as we recognize that our country has sinned so greatly and as we are worthy of your judgment, Lord, we do pray that you would in judgment yet remember mercy and that you would pour out your spirit and grant to us uh, before your, your judgment comes that you would grant to us hearts of repentance, that we would know, O Lord, that your patience with regard to this judgment is for salvation, and that we would not presume upon it, as the Apostle Paul says. Lord, grant us this grace, we do pray, that the beast might not come to devour, but that rather that there might be many who would turn their hearts to you in faith and obedience. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.